We're going to look together at uh, God's Word today, so please join me in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. And uh, we continue to study together through these chapters in the book of Romans. And as I have shared with you, the chapters near the end of this book of Romans um, help us understand how the gospel transforms our relationships with each other, how the gospel that we just sung transforms our relationships. And we've seen together how the gospel transforms our relationships with one another within the church, how it transforms our relationships with people that are hostile, hateful, enemies to us. Uh, We saw that in Romans chapter 12. Uh, The beginning of Romans chapter 13 talks about how the gospel transforms our relationship with the civil government, uh, with the authorities over us. And we saw how it transforms our relationships with our neighbors, right? Love your neighbor. And then uh, last week, Pastor Dan talked about how the gospel affects and changes your view and your uh, engagement with the the dark world around you. And uh, today we're looking at how the gospel transforms your relationships with other Christians, especially those who are different from you in areas of personal choices that you make. In fact, even different to the point of disagreement. Now, this this is a very important topic because it affects how you treat people in your church. It affects how you treat people who might come to this church, even as a newcomer. Uh, It affects how you treat your Christian brothers and sisters in the community, other Christians that you know around this area. So let me, let me kind of set this up in, in this way. I want to make sure we understand. So there are fundamental truths of biblical Christianity. So if you are a Christian in the sense of you believe in the scriptures and you believe the gospel, then there's a package that comes with that. These are basic elementary fundamental truths that genuine Bible-believing Christians would agree on. All right. So for example, God made the world. The Bible is God's word. Jesus is God's son. Jesus died for your sins and rose again. And the only way to be forgiven for your sins and go to heaven is not by doing good works, either religious works or even humanitarian works, but the only way to be forgiven for your sins and know that you're going to heaven when you die is to believe on Jesus, to believe on Jesus Christ as your savior. And these fundamental truths include the fact that you will exist somewhere after this life. Death is not the end, is it? Either in heaven with God or in hell, a place of torment, depending on whether you believed the gospel in this life. Those are examples. Uh, There are more basic truths that Christians who believe the scriptures are the word of God would agree on, but that's an example of fundamental truths. So so we're going to agree on those pretty much. Then there are some secondary teachings, some secondary teachings. Not that they're not important, but but we we interpret scripture to determine how we think on these. For example, Christians believe that Jesus is coming back. Some Christians have different ideas about the timing of that, the timing of Jesus' return. Uh, There are different ideas about the spiritual gifts that are active in the church today. So I know this church has its position and 
I agree with that position, but there are people who you would, would say, oh, they're Christians, but have a different way of thinking about that. And, and even whether a church operates, for example, the, the way the church is governed, whether it's by a group of elders who, who determine everything and dictate everything, we call that elder rule, or congregational rule, which is how this church runs, how this church operates. Okay, so those are very important. Not saying they're not important, but those will be considered some secondary issues where there are people who are believers in God, believers in the gospel, they're genuine Christians, and, and normally, let me, let me back up and say this way, those fundamental truths, Christians are going to unite on those, right? We can say, yes, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Those secondary teachings, all Christians won't unite around those, but some will, right? Some will unite in those, and, and there's not a lot of crossover in, in those groups. The third area, which is the one we're talking about today, are areas of personal choice, personal choice. Another, another um, way of saying this would be applications of truth or instruction that we find in God's word. These areas of personal choice are areas where some Christians agree, but some make different choices, and, and not only among Christians in general, but in the same community, and by community I mean, I mean region, like geographical community, so, so you're going to cross paths with Christians in this community, in, in groups you're with and places you go and, and uh, activities you attend and schools that you go to where, where Christians make different choices in these personal areas of life and I would even say within the same church, within the same church, within the same church family, we are going to arrive at different choices and applications in some areas of the truths of God's word. The church should be a place where Christians, and I would say this church should be a place where Christians who disagree about matters of personal choice love one another, fellowship together, and welcome each other. And that's right in the Bible. Look with me at Romans chapter 14. I'm going to read for us the first 12 verses. These are the verses we will look closely at today. And then, uh, Lord willing, next week we'll go further in Romans 14 and possibly make it into the beginning of chapter 15, because that's where this instruction—that's uh, where this instruction is. So, look with me at Romans 14, starting in verse one. Receive, we might say, welcome, one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and gives God thanks." 
For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. And what we're looking at today is I'm calling it disagreeing Christians, the real issues, Lord willing, next week we'll look at the same topic, disagreeing Christians, in the next part of this text and talk about the right actions. So, so really I would say this is how we should think, and then next week more of how we should act. What are the real issues regarding matters of personal choice where Christians disagree? What should be your main concerns? And there are two of them. The first one is accepting one another, accepting one another. Right away at the beginning of verse 1, you see the word that the Apostle Paul used there. It's the word receive. I want to do a quick little, quick little scan of a couple of other places because I want you to get the, the weight and the significance of this word, all right? So look with me back to the book right before Romans, to the book of Acts, near the end of the book, Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, Paul has... Uh, just experienced shipwreck, and they have um, escaped the ship and floated in, been washed into this island called Malta. And uh, Acts chapter 28, verse 1 says, when they had escaped, they found that the island was called Malta. And if you're there, look with me or listen to Acts chapter 28, verse 2. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. What a picture, what a picture, right? Shipwrecked in the cold water, coming out on the, on the beach, and all of a sudden there's some people there waiting for them, and they could be ready to take their lives. But instead they said, come on, come on, we've got a fire going, warm up, come in, right? He calls it unusual kindness. And, and when it says he, they made us all welcome, that's the exact same word in the original language that Paul used in Romans 14.1. Come on. Come on in. Let's sit down together. Warm up by the fire. Unusual kindness. What a great picture of that word. Now, go the other direction, past Romans. There's a little book called Philemon. And in the book of Philemon, Paul used this word again. And I want you to see that. So... Uh, Let's see, Philemon is right before Hebrews, am I right? Yes, there it is. It's about one page. Philemon, and look down at verse 17. So Paul is writing to his friend Philemon about his escaped slave. And he says to Philemon in verse 17, If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. So Paul was telling Philemon, yes, this, this slave escaped, but he wants your forgiveness. He's coming back. Welcome him. In fact, he says, treat him as a brother. Treat him as a brother, right? 
So you get an idea, you get a picture of this word receive. We see that in, in chapter 14, verse 1 of Romans, and think, oh, okay, that just means I'm supposed to kind of have a, uh, a very um, calm, quiet, uh, non-spectacular acceptance of someone. Well, Paul's saying more than that, isn't he? He's saying, give a warm welcome, show unusual kindness, receive this person, embrace them. And then back in chapter 14 and verse 3, he, he says at the end of verse, verse 3, for God has received him. So this is how God treats us, isn't it? So when we come to God through Jesus Christ and our sins are forgiven, God shows unusual kindness to us, doesn't he? He welcomes us. He embraces us. He treats us as his own. So that's what's contained in this idea of receive. So it's important that we understand the instruction that Paul is giving here. Now, now let's just talk for a second. How, how do you treat your fellow Christians, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you just kind of keep a distance? Maybe not really speak to them? Just kind of accept the fact that they're there? Do you give a little, kind of a little high, right? Or do you treat them like a friend? Hey! That's what we'd say in the South, right? Hey! It's good to see you. Welcome. So we should do that just generally, shouldn't we? But he's saying especially when it comes to somebody that, yeah, there are some disagreements over these personal choices in life. Now, we do want to make sure we understand what he's talking about when he says in verse 1, one who is weak in the faith. Weak sounds like they're struggling spiritually or there's some kind of inferiority there. What that really means is that they have a more sensitive conscience. They have a more sensitive conscience about these issues of personal choice. And strong, so one who is strong, is the one with a less sensitive conscience about matters of, of personal choice. And, and you can see in verse 2 there, he's talking about the ones who think they can eat anything, but the one who is weak in the faith eats only vegetables. And then uh, you see the same thing um, there in, um, in verse 5 where he's talking about the days. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. So what's he talking about here? Well, for the, for the Jewish people who heard the gospel and were saved, they were coming out of being under obligation to keep those ceremonial and dietary laws. So they couldn't eat certain foods. They could only eat certain foods. They had to participate in certain special days where there were feasts and offerings and all of that. So there were these requirements on them, dietary laws and ceremonial days and feasts. But once they trusted Christ, they were no longer under the obligation to keep those ceremonial and dietary restrictions and laws, right? Requirements. So, so these newly saved Jews were free from all that because Jesus is their Savior, no longer required to follow those requirements. But some of them still had a sensitive conscience about it. They felt like they probably should. Or another possibility is that some of these were, were non-Jews. They, they lived in Rome, let's say, and, and they had been idol worshipers. And part of idol worship was offering an animal, giving that burnt offering, and then basically having it later for steak, for lunch. But it was an act of worship. When they ate their offering, it was an act of worship to their idol. And so once they got saved, they were like, we can't worship our idols anymore. We need to worship the true God. And for them, eating that meat felt like worshiping an idol. So they had a sensitive conscience about that. They weren't yet free in their faith 
to say, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's meat. God gave it to us. Like he says later, we eat it with thanks. By the way, that's why we give thanks before we eat, right? Because of what Paul says right here. We give thanks for what, we, what he's given us. So he said that you give thanks and you eat it and it's fine. So I just want to make sure we understand these, these definitions here, that, that the weak in the faith was the one with more sensitive conscience and the strong was the one with the less sensitive conscience. And keep in mind, this passage actually is addressing both and how we treat each other. So there are three instructions that help us know what's involved in receiving one another, accepting one another. The first one is avoid trying to convince others to agree with you. That's what he means in verse 1 when he says not to disputes over doubtful things. So he's saying, yes, be, be welcoming and, and show hospitality even to these people. Give them a warm welcome. But the idea is not that you invite them over so that you can, can bring up your position and, and share your conviction and your personal choice and try to persuade them to adopt the way you think, right? That's what he's saying here. So, so yes, welcome them, but not for the purpose of getting into a discussion or a debate about your opinions. I've actually been in a situation kind of like this, um, being invited to somebody's home for a meal, and then all of a sudden they're talking about some very specific application that they've made in their lives or for their family, and, and it's the sense of I'm trying to convince you that this is the way that you should think and the way that you should live as well. So, he says, avoid that. Then he says, avoid looking down on another whose conscience is more sensitive than yours. That's what he's saying in, in verse 3. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. So, if you're strong in the faith, and for these, for these uh, Jewish believers, eating uh, things that the Old Testament dietary laws had restricted was not a problem for them, um, and they didn't feel like they had to go observe the ceremonial feasts. He says, uh, that's fine, but don't look down on the person who feels a more sensitive conscience. And the word despise is interesting. It does mean to look down. It means to treat with contempt or to have an attitude of disdain. And what can happen is the person with the stronger faith who feels their freedom in Christ can, can run roughshod over others who are more sensitive and think, oh, those are just weak Christians. I'm not going to let their weak conscience dictate what I do. And they end up being treated as kind of second-class citizens. They're not as important to the church. Their opinions don't matter. And he says, no, avoid that. Don't view them that way. They are believers. They are brothers and sisters just like you in the body of Christ. But then he says in the last part of verse 3, also avoid being critical of another whose conscience is not as sensitive as yours. So you're the one with the more sensitive conscience. And he says avoid being critical of the one who is more free in their conscience. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. So the one who does not feel comfortable eating that meat, he says, don't judge the one who does. 
Now remember, this is not talking about things that the Bible forbids. This is not talking about clear instructions, you shall or you shall not do certain things. This is not talking about the commands of the Bible. This is talking about areas where Christians or families make personal choices and you make your applications of what the Word of God instructs you to do. And, and we do tend to watch each other. We can, in, in pride, look at others' lives and look at their choices and see how they align with what we think and what we do. And we can look at another brother or sister in Christ and decide how we're going to treat them. And we might even decide, you know what, that person is not right with God because of the choices that they make. Now, there are all kinds of examples, and I thought about giving some very specific examples. I'm going to give just a few kind of, kind of basic areas. So, so, for example, one example might be the area of Christian music, right? So there are very strong ideas about the kind of Christian music that is acceptable to some individuals and some people, and maybe more conservative, more traditional, more piano and orchestral instruments approach. Uh, and then for others, more contemporary music, um, with a more contemporary sound and style is fine with them, right? Now, you may have a personal view, and I think this church has some particular practices in that area. And again, I'm not raising this to have a debate about it. Um, but, I've, but I've been in settings where a certain style of music was taught as this is God's will for everybody, and if you are not adopting this, if you're not, not following this, then you are not right with God, Right? And that's taking a pretty strong position regarding other believers about that. that that's kind of what I'm talking about here. Uh, sometimes the, the way that we dress, right, could be another area like that. Yes, the Bible teaches us to be masculine and feminine and modest and all those things. Sometimes there are some specific applications that we make for ourselves that we can debate, sometimes debate about. And it's possible to develop an attitude toward other Christians of, of superiority, of superiority. I'm going to give this example, and I, and I say this very carefully uh, because this is not something that I'm addressing that I see here, okay? Um, but I think it just is an example of the kind of thing that can happen to us if we're not careful. So Faith and I um, lived in Wisconsin, and uh, when our children were young, it was kind of when the idea of homeschooling was becoming more and more popular. And so uh, we did homeschool our, our kids. And, and um, so there developed within that, a, I would call it a, a movement of um, families that attended conferences and, um, and, and used materials. And there were some kind of key leaders, some key figures, individuals that were very prominent in that movement, did a lot of teaching on it. And there developed within that the, the idea, the mindset that this is the right way and this is how families who are honoring God will um, educate their children, right? So, and then the flip side of that is if you're not, then you're not right with God. You're not doing it the right way. That's just kind of a summary of, of a, a mentality, not of everybody in that, that popular practice or in that movement, but, but that emerged. And I remember one time just as a pastor, uh, talking with someone, and I was just making conversation, and uh, just kind of innocent, you know, get acquainted type conversation, and uh, and I said, so where, where do your kids go to school? And I remember there was just kind of this this aura, this air that that came across, and 
I don't remember if they actually did kind of put their nose up, but, but it felt like that, like we homeschool, you know, <laughs> like it kind of came across that way, like, like this, is, this, is, this is the right way, and why would we do anything else if we are Christians, right? Now, I know I'm treading in a little bit of a personal area, and again, I'm not saying that anybody who homeschools has that air of superiority. Um, we homeschooled, maybe we did have that, I don't know. But, but it's a caution that regardless of what kind of, of choice you make as a family, what you have to be very careful of is arriving at a place of thinking, you know what, this is right for everybody, and this is how others should do it. That's an example that I'm talking about. And so even maybe that, that attitude was not intentional. Maybe it wasn't even what was in their heart, okay? It just came across even in our tone, even in our body language, sometimes we can send a signal, oh, this is how we do it, and if you don't practice it this way, there's something wrong with you. What I would urge and exhort us as a church family to think about is, is there any way in which any of us portrays that attitude of judging, of, of passing judgment on another person, and even developing an attitude of 